This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. The best time to control many winter annual weeds with herbicide is in the fall. Although it has been very dry and there really aren't many weeds out there, even the recent little rains is enough to get them to germinate. This time of year, they are small and they don't seem like much, but once they bolt in the spring, they can be hard to kill. Currently, the winter weeds are still germinating, so waiting to spray during a mild stretch in mid-November can be ideal. They are small and inconspicuous, but they are there. It is a good idea to include with a burn down and a residual herbicide to get coverage into the spring. This time of year, the soils are cooler, so residuals will last a little longer as well. Two of our main winter annuals that are hard to control are henbit and marestel. But pennycrest, dandelions, downy brome, and many others can all be problematic winter annuals in the field. Marestel is prevalent here in eastern Kansas, and this weed has been finding its way into the herbicide-resistant weeds list. We mostly think of henbit as a weed weed, but although henbit stays small in the spring, it can be hard to plant through, and it could shade young corn seedlings. In pasture, now is also a good time to control must thistles. For burn down, glyphosate 2,4-D and acamba are some of our main options. Although it can be hard to find some chemicals, and the prices have gone up considerably, group on herbicides like Selphodum, the herbicide in Select, Quasoflop, the herbicide in Assure, can be used to control grasses. Broadleaf herbicides can include Paraquat or Sulfurin, the herbicide in Sharpen. For residual, Atrazine is cheap and effective. However, it can only be used if the plan is to plant corn or sorghum in the spring. Atrazine has some rate and location restrictions as well. Atrazine used in November should have enough carryover to provide some control for early germinated summer annuals. It can be mixed with 2,4-D, dicamba, or sharpen to provide a better control of Maristel. Atrazine doesn't control brome or volunteer wheat once they have tillered, so therefore it should be mixed with glyphosate and an AMS injunct. For soybeans, fall herbicides include 2,4-D, dicamba, sharpen, Valor XLT, and many others. The addition of glyphosate can help control the winter grasses. Some weeds, especially Maristel, can have a herbicide resistance to glyphosate, atrazine, ALS herbicides like Valor or Classic. It is important to use herbicides with different modes of action and to follow herbicide instructions on the rate of usage. Another issue is that residual herbicides eventually lose their effectiveness and will control weeds into the summer months. Most residual herbicides last a little longer during the winter months but the effectiveness is reduced when soil temperatures, biological activity, and soil moisture increases. And most residual herbicides need at least some amount of rain before they become active. How long the residuals will last depends on the winter weather, and a spring application of residuals could be needed. For more information on weed control winter annuals and crops, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Calves with respiratory problems, cows that naturally terminate calves early, deformed calves, and scours are just a few of the signs that a cow-calf producer may have bovine viral diarrhea circulating in their herd. Though diarrhea is part of the name, BVD presents itself in many ways. This unique virus impacts animals of all ages through multiple body systems. The major source of the virus comes from persistently infected cattle in or around the herd. 
Sometimes these persistently infected calves, often referred to as PIs, will appear healthy and may or may not thrive. These calves were actually infected during gestation. If the infected fetus survives to birth, they will continually shed the virus and expose other animals. Fetal exposure happens when the pregnant cow has been in contact with the persistently infected calf. The cow may recover from the virus, but the fetus will not. Consider this scenario infect and persist, quite a frustrating cycle. The other way that BVD propagates is like a hit and run, common with stalkers and feeder cattle. An infected animal will either recover or perish within about a week. If the infected animal passes the BVD virus along to another animal before recovery or death, the virus survives. However, if the infected calf is restricted from passing the virus during recovery, the virus dies out. Testing for BVD is fairly simple. An ear notch sample taken at branding or as early in the calf's life as possible is ideal. Using a pig ear notcher, collect about a dime-sized sample of the outer ear. This sample can be placed in a blood serum tube with the calf's ID and frozen until arriving at a lab. There are lots of places to get these samples tested. Call your local vet or extension office for more details on lab locations. If you suspect bovine viral diarrhea in your herd, it's important to work with a veterinarian. All calves in the herd will be tested to start the process of protecting future generations. When you do come across a persistently infected calf, it should be ethically disposed of. Placing these cattle back in the livestock marketing system where they may infect other cattle is irresponsible. Infected cattle should either be euthanized or fed in isolated pens and sent directly to slaughter. To protect your herd from BVD, quarantine all replacement animals for at least 21 days to safeguard against temporary infection. During quarantine, test for PI status. Isolate all new pregnant cows until calving and test their calves upon birth. It's important to test these calves before the dams are rebred to eliminate the possibility of producing more PI cattle. Vaccination can slow or prevent the hit-and-run version of the BVD virus that produces temporary disease. Vaccinating cows to prevent the infection of calves and thus the birth of new PI cattle is helpful but not 100% effective. Establish a tailored biosecurity and vaccination program with advice from your veterinarian. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is David Scrantz, one of the Ag and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District with your K-State Research and Extension report. Coyotes are the number one predator of livestock in Kansas and in most of the western United States. In general, coyotes will range over areas of about 10 to 25 square miles. They are active primarily at night, but may venture close to houses even in broad daylight if terrain or cover are adequate to conceal them. In Kansas, coyotes normally go under or through fences whenever possible. However, they are capable of jumping or climbing over fences and will do so under some circumstances. Of course, not all coyotes kill livestock, but there is no way to look at an individual coyote and know if they are the one to blame after livestock has been killed. However, 
In a damage situation where livestock has been lost, control methods can be concentrated in and around the damaged area and along coyote travel routes to and from the area. When this is done, there is reasonable assurance that the offending coyotes will be among the first few coyotes captured. Coyotes have one litter of five to seven young in late April or early May. During and immediately following this spring whelping season, coyote energy demands increase rapidly as the parents provide food for the young. At this time, some coyotes will turn to livestock as a readily available source of food. In late summer and early fall, another increase in coyote predation is usually seen. At this time of year, the food demands of the large and fast-growing pups may tend to be more than what the adults are able to provide for them. Again, domestic livestock may offer an easily obtainable source of abundant food. This late summer increase in predation may also be related to learning or development of livestock killing behavior by the pups. Winter losses of livestock to coyotes are generally lower than at other times of the year despite the high energy needs of individual coyotes. If you are interested in learning more about coyotes, a coyote trapping and predator calling workshop which will focus on coyote biology, coyote management, predator calling, and coyote trapping will be held on Thursday, November 3rd at the K-State Southeast Research and Extension Center in Parsons, Kansas. The meeting will begin at 6.30 in the evening and dinner will be provided. Featured speaker will be Dr. Drew Ricketts, K-State Research and Extension Wildlife Specialist. There is no cost to attend the meeting. However, to help plan for the meal, we ask that you RSVP by November 1st by calling the Wildcat District's Independence Office at 620-331-2690. Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Horde Report. Winter garden prep can sneak up on us, so it's important to know what to do to keep garden tools in working condition. Certain tools can be damaged when the temperatures drop, especially tools that hold water. Garden hoses and irrigation systems with water still inside run the risk of bursting during hard freezes. Hoses should be drained and move indoors during the winter for storage. Stretching them out and coiling them around your arm will cause the water to drain naturally. Ultraviolet light from the sun causes brittleness and decay over time, so hoses should be stored in a shed or garage to prolong their life. Irrigation lines are trickier to winterize, especially if you have a sprinkler system with underground lines. These lines are not buried very deep, but on the plus side are typically self-draining. That doesn't mean there's nothing you need to do. The main valve should be closed, and the irrigation line should be blown dry with an air compressor. If your irrigation system has manual drains, these should be opened. Mapping out where these are will make it easier in the spring to close them when the system needs to be repressurized. Most lawn services will be able to help with draining and blowing out irrigation systems. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, so taking the initiative and cleaning out water before any hard freezes will minimize the chance of needing to repair lines or buy new hoses. 
cleaning off garden tools is also important for their long-term function. Leaving dirt and debris on garden tools will lead to the formation of rust. To get dirt and debris off, use a steel brush to rub down all surfaces on the tool. Wipe down all surfaces with a damp paper towel and then use a paper towel with oil to wipe all metal surfaces. Typically, linseed oil will be the easiest to find at hardware stores, but most oils will work. The oil will act as a barrier and repel any moisture that might try adhering to the surface of the tool. By keeping this moisture off of your tools, rust formation is prevented. If wooden handles are starting to form splinters, smooth them out with low-grit sandpaper. Any sandpaper will do the job, but the rougher the sandpaper, the faster the handle will become smooth. Lawn mowers also need servicing before being stored for the winter. Untreated gasoline left in the tank can become thick and gummy in the cold months, so it's important to run the tank dry or add a stabilizer to prevent clogging. Battery terminals can also corrode during the drier months, so cleaning the terminals with a wire brush will make starting up your mower much easier next year. This is also a good time to sharpen any mower blades that might have dulled. There are a few steps to this process. First, remove grass and debris from the blades with a damp cloth, drying the blades before sharpening. Use a grinding wheel or a hand file to remove nicks from the cutting edge, and file the edges to 1 32nd of an inch thick, keeping the angle consistent with the blade. Avoid overheating the blade with a grinder, which could warp its shape. As with other garden tools, clean the blades with a thin coating of oil to prevent rust buildup. Winter is very hard on tools, but with these tips you can protect your investment from damage and use them to to keep your lawns and gardens looking nice the following year. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Hort Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.